This is Ian Harvey, the Tokyo U.S. Brand Manager. I'm here with Brian and Caitlin Gregg, as well as Heidi Moly Gregg, the third and newest member of Team Gregg. Team Gregg is made up of Caitlin and Brian, as well as some family members that support them and other um, support members, such as waxers or massage therapists, or I don't know, we can talk about little, that a little bit later. Both Brian and Caitlin are U.S. Olympians in cross-country skiing. Um, they're very successful. Caitlin, most notably, is also a five-time American Birkenbinder champion. That's more titles than anyone else in history and a bronze, individual bronze medalist in the world championships. As impressive as both Brian and Caitlin are and continue to be, to me, most impressive is their personality and on a personal level, how much of their time, talents, and energy they give to others. So, and they're also both very close, long-time friends of mine. So thank you for being here with me. And thank you also to Heidi for being with us and for the entertainment, which I'm sure is to come. Brian and Caitlin, um, you guys were on the CXC team together for years. Did you know each other much before that? Or is that where you met? I would say that's where we met. I remember I, uh, I skied at, at the University of Alaska Anchorage and Caitlin came up um, and was racing some of the super tours that they had up in Fairbanks and Anchorage in 2006. So that was the first time that I actually met Caitlin. She recalls that she does not remember meeting me then, but I remember that. The, uh, and then we, we both joined the CXC team and that was actually where I started my professional relationship with Toko is as I joined the team, but I've, I've actually had the privilege of skiing in Toko gloves my entire skiing career, which cool. is pretty fun. That is awesome. Thank you very much for, for supporting me through, through that dream from the very beginning. You're welcome. And, and Toko and myself has been, have been associated with the both of you individually and then together as a team. I would guess something like, 18 years or something like a long time. So and it's been my pleasure, not only in, uh, in becoming longtime friends of you all, but um, it's been a very mutually beneficial relationship uh, on a multiple level. So it's been great on my end too. Yeah, it's fun for us to see, uh, see your little girl going off to, your girls going off to college as, as we think about this one and appreciating the time and uh, the adventures that we have ahead while she's living with us. Absolutely. So getting back to your, um, I went, I met my wife before she met me as well. Yeah. <laughs> I remember her, she skied past me. Uh, I was taking a break between intervals and she skied past me in, in Germany, Rupolding, Germany. And I was like, wow, cool. And then uh, I thought maybe she noticed me too, but evidently not. And she met me the next night at the World Cup party, but... I met her the day before, and it was not a coincidence that, I, that she met me the next evening. <laughs> so awesome. with that in mind, my question then is, did you guys, when you were spending more time, let's say on the CXE team, did you fall in love immediately and not act on it? Or was it more of a sneaked up on us kind of a thing? Because from my perspective, I knew you guys were friends, and you seemed to do a lot together, but I didn't know you were together, and all of a sudden, Brian was proposing. So I'm kind of curious how that went. I would say, yeah, I would say that we actually, we actually knew each other, obviously, from Ryan before me, but when CXC, when we both joined CXC, but we're both, um, I think at 
different points dating different people and we were just sort of teammates and we actually probably you know we spent a lot of time probably more like you said you didn't like me <laughs> we just spent more time like uh i don't know debating different topics or whatnot or talking about things when we were training and and i think it wasn't you know until we both found ourselves single that we realized like we actually had a lot we had a lot in common but we also had a lot that wasn't in common and it turned out that that was a really cool um that was a really cool like match for for a long-term marriage i guess if you will and so you know i think it was one of those things where we were familiar with each other and we knew each other long enough so then when we did start dating we we're like wow this is amazing it didn't take long for us to to get engaged and get married and now it's been almost 10 years <laughs> yeah. that we've been married so yeah so growing up um, I, had, I had a lot of ski idols. One was Bill Koch, but another one is not as uh, well-known. His name is Bill Henry. Bill Henry was on the U.S. disabled team. He, he was a veteran. He, missed, he was missing one arm. And he used to do all the marathons. And I started skiing at a very long, young age. I was doing marathons when I was four, um, 15 Ks. I call it a marathon. Um, but one of the people I noticed immediately was a guy named Bill Henry. Not only because he had one arm, um, not only because he was very friendly, uh, every time I spoke to him, he grinned and spoke back to me and so on. But Bill was actually African-American and lived outside of Boston. And he inspired me and he continued to inspire me. I lost touch with him for a little while. And I would talk about him now and then I thought, you know what? I should get in touch with this guy. And we're now friends again today. We've been friends for a long time, many years now. Um, and he's one of my childhood idols. And he has inspired me for years. An African-American cross-country skier in the United States. So... Um, and I know you have introduced, you and Caitlin have introduced skiing to a lot of your African-American neighbors. And I received recently notes from LNR talking about trying to be more inclusionary in, in their initiatives and bringing people to skiing and so on. And, and I think you and Caitlin are, are probably on the tip of the spear in terms of um, providing an example of how to do this exactly. Um, basically just, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Can you talk about your experience with that and how natural it has been for you? Yeah. The, um, so that is something that we've tried to do is we've tried to share skiing with, with our neighbors and with our community members. And we live in a predominantly African-American neighborhood. The, um, one of the big opportunities we have is the proximity to the park because it makes it so that if you live in Minnesota, you're going to have a relatively long winter. And it's quite cold and it's easy to say, you know, what am I going to do inside? And especially I think, you know, through the time of, of COVID is the importance of health and exercise and being able to do stuff outside, I think is really, really important. And so, you know, we've really tried to reach out to, to our community and our neighbors and, and introduce them to this sport that we love cross country skiing. And, uh, one of the things that I really like about our neighbors is that they're, they don't, they're not particularly nervous about trying something new. You know, they're, they're, they're quite, they're quite open to say, Oh yeah, I'll, I'll try that. I, I, I don't have a background in this. I don't know anybody else that does this, but I, I see you guys doing it in the streets and it seems like something that would be pretty fun to do. And it seems like that's right in our backyard that we can go and, and do that. So I think that that's a, it's really fun to, to expose, expose the community to, to a sport that we love and sharing that with, with anybody, regardless of, you know, their, their economic or racial status, really. Exactly. And I've also noticed through your communication that 
it hasn't just been skiing, but it's also been more or less a fitness lifestyle, being active, outgoing. You've done a lot of push-ups and other types of uh, body weight fitness exercises with your neighbors and gone for runs as well as a little roller skiing. Um, it's amazing that, you know, that whole it takes a village thing. Um, it seems like you are not just friends, but also mentors for a lot of your neighbors and neighborhood kids. And that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, athletics has given us uh, a lot in our lives. It's allowed us to travel around the world and see, see a lot of different, different areas, beautiful places, beautiful people. And I just know that, that, uh, as now I have a more traditional, you know, 40 hour week. So, uh, job working at a desk that, that importance of being active and outside and, and it's funny, it actually, you know, gives you more energy so that we can play with Heidi and really trying to share that. And I think particularly we have a little bit of a soft spot for like the kids, especially, especially the kids that I think maybe act out because they, they aren't getting as much attention or their home lives are a little bit more challenging. The, the balance that, that athletics and trying to do something that's hard, maybe failing along the way, but then finding success as you work hard towards that goal, be it skiing or running or mountain biking or doing push-ups, that that's, that's pretty fun. And as, as athletes, we are given a, like immediate credibility with kids in the sense that, you know, when you introduce yourself as a professional athlete, there's a little bit of like, oh, that's fascinating as uh, for the kids. And then I mean, my favorite is when, you know, Caitlin goes and, you know, rips off a couple of pull-ups on the monkey bars and, you know, really, really showing, showing the kids, you know, how strong uh, women can be as well as men and just sort of the, the amazing things that our body is able to do and they're excited to try it. You know, oh, I, I think I could try and do that, that pull-up. And then one of my favorite things is actually if they aren't able to do it at the beginning working with them to teach them a skill or help build their fitness so that they can can do it because i've we've always been more interested in in where where somebody can be rather than like oh well so and so is good um you know it's sort of rewarding those ideas of working hard rather than just being good at something yeah yeah i mean those are life lessons that are that serve a person for the rest of their lives. Why have a work ethic if work doesn't bring anything? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> some would say if you're working hard and getting nowhere, maybe you aren't working that smart. And yeah, well, or uh, sometimes you have point? to be patient or yeah. it's not worth it. Yeah. 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 I mean, what's the point of working hard if, if hard work doesn't bring anything? So, yeah. and so that's really how you learn a work ethic. In my opinion is you try something and then it dem you demonstrate uh, an ability to improve or make progress in some fashion as a result of your work. And those are life lessons that serve all of us for, for our lives. It's an empowering lesson, which is yeah. necessary for all of us to learn. That's great. Yeah. In the past, I would say probably pre-Heidi mo mostly, um, much of your training years were full of constant trips where you would train with other athletes as well as visit local schools and teams and lead workouts with kids or adult programs. And you've done this constantly more or less all year round for years, even in the winter when, you know, you need to be really careful about staying healthy and, and maintaining your energy, le energy levels. Many would say that this is a highly compromised lifestyle for an elite athlete preparing for competitions at the highest level. Yet clearly this practice has fed you 
motivated you and inspired you. I'd love to hear about your ideas regarding this and how it's worked for you because most people would think that's crazy, but you've been able to achieve amazing things while giving so much to everybody. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. Uh, I, I think that for us, you know, we, we've really wanted, as Brian was saying, with our work here in the community and with our neighbors and so forth, we've always really wanted, we have this passion to share what, what we love and share what we do with anyone and everyone who's willing to listen, basically, or willing to partake. And so I think that when we traveled, you know, we oftentimes found ourselves in new areas and wanting to, um, you know, we, we again feel like we've been so lucky and so privileged to have been supported by so many people and so many companies like Toko over the years. And it was sort of a way that we could give back and we could sort of, uh, you know, share what we know, share what we love with, with the people in that community where we were visiting. And so, like you said, we were traveling a fair amount. And so we'd find ourselves in, in different communities and say, you know, how can we, how can we get to know the people here? Or how can we create um, just more networks around um, what we do and, and where we go? And so, we really started to embrace this concept of, um, I guess, yeah, giving as much as we could. And I think it actually sort of became a cycle where it made us feel really good. And then that ultimately helped make us even better skiers. Um, I think there's something to be said about that. Um, yeah, it just it sharing and, and teaching that you, you're, especially what you love, it just, it comes back to you um, in the long run because you almost reinforce it, right? You almost hear yourself saying, well, yeah. this is how you, you know, this is how you ski, this is why we ski, this is what our goals are. And I think that it, you know, it really meant a lot to us. And that's, again, to go back to your other comment, uh, that's not because we weren't, you know, there, there definitely were times where we were exhausted. That is, that is for sure. Um, and there were times where, you know, maybe it wasn't the best for our training for that particular day or for that particular block, but we sort of, we were pretty smart in how we approached that and how we looked at that and, and made the best, um, made the best choices, you know, for our training uh, in conjunction there. So, so I get that, but I think, I mean, a lot of people like what they just heard from you and would like to emulate you in that. Yeah. But when it comes down to brass tacks, when it comes down to actually doing it, it becomes very difficult. For example, I know Brian and you train a lot with Matt Leach. Why is that? Because you can go out there and bang heads and it's a very competitive situation and you can push each other. And when you have, when someone's like a little bit behind, then they make small adjustments and, or, or adjust their attitude if they're a little tired or something, and then make gains, incremental gains. But if you're going out with, uh, let's say a junior high or a high school team, which I know you do constantly and you do your quality workouts with them too, not just your easy workouts. Yeah. It seems like you're giving up the opportunity to train with people that you actually can really bang heads with and compete with. Yeah. Um, but somehow you've been able to excel and be inspired <laughs> by that. And that's, to me, that's remarkable. Not only that you're doing that, but you found a way of doing it that seems to be without compromise, despite the obvious compromise that seems to be there. Yeah, and that's definitely um, that's definitely something you know we uh, we're currently in the Twin Cities and we you know for Brian he has Matt Leach and he has we always try to invite um, other athletes when they're in town if they're you know training elsewhere around the country and they're back for we just had some girls from Crossbury who were 
in town and we were training outdoors and they said, you know, can we come and be socially distant and train with you guys? And we always are welcoming and try to, um, you know, make our, our, our training opportunities open to as many uh, athletes as possible. And then um, I think we've just been really creative in how, how we've been training. And, you know, one thing that I found is that if we help the juniors to become faster, they become our training partners essentially. And so for me, there's, uh, you know, there's always at least a handful of junior, like you said, high school boys who are fantastic training partners for myself. And uh, throughout the summer, the last, what did we decide, four, five summers, I've been coaching our college group. And so I coach the college group and, you know, a lot of those athletes can push me in any number of modalities. We've had some who are extremely good double pullers, for instance, and that's one area that I need to work on. And so I can really um, find a way that we can kind of, whether it's even staggering starts or whether it's, you know, a fixed loop or we all have specific times, just really being creative and saying, how can I train? And like you said, with, with junior athletes, with collegiate athletes, with masters athletes, I've, yeah, I've really kind of looked and thought, tried to think outside the box and how I can make that work. So I want to reiterate something. I know we just beat this horse dead a little bit, but so I know one thing, there's a group of junior girls that Caitlin has coached and worked with and they kind of became, I don't know, I think you were saying something like my girls and you know, like you, you, you spent yeah. a lot of time with them and you did a lot of workouts with them. You had a close relationship with them. And so you're doing a lot of workouts with these girls. And, and like I said, I, I've mentioned this already. You're doing this constantly with master's groups, schools of all ages and so on, but doing a lot of your quality workouts, this is a person who won a race at U.S. Nationals by, I believe it was four minutes. This yeah. is a person who won a bronze medal at the World Championships. <laughs> and we're not talking about someone in an elite training group. I, I know you do workouts sometimes with elite skiers and also uh, quite fast young men who, who can push you. But not only is this very creative, but you are – at some point, giving up something for others, inspiring others, spending time with and, and training with others who are clearly not at your level. And yeah. <laughs> regardless, you're still able to win nationals by four minutes and win a medal, individual medal in the world championships. And so I guess to me, it's a shining example of there are many ways of getting to the same place and giving yields something back. You know, it's not just about the chart tip of the spear where you're banging heads with the fastest person you can find and, and you're kind of sharpening each other's abilities, but it, it is possible to, to achieve a super high level um, in a non-traditional method while you're giving and giving and giving and somehow staying healthy as well, traveling and visiting with people and inspiring them. And to me, that is just remarkable the way that both of you have done that for years and obviously yeah. it's not an ego thing. You are too, you too. I give out posters in West Yellowstone every year and other events. And your poster is by far the most popular. And um, there are some other athletes who are highly successful, but the people don't know who they are or they don't know them personally. And I'll give out posters to the two of you. And it's like giving out a treasure. And people are like, oh my gosh. And then they just, they'll spend 15 minutes if I let them tell me about stories of how much you've done for and with them and how cool you are. And I mean, you have literally, I wouldn't say dragged because that has a negative connotation, but 
loved people into the sport and loved them into loving the sport. And um, I thank you. Yeah. This. And I think the uh, community should thank you for this um, if they're not aware of it, because you provided a service. It's what the ski industry is wishing from everybody to grow the sport and to be this welcoming sport. In fact, if I go skiing and I see somebody, regardless of what I'm doing, and I see someone needs, looks like they need some help, I always stop and reach out to them and make sure that their experience on skis, where I live, oftentimes is a first experience. And I show them how to put their bindings and poles on. I, if they, my most common thing is they fall down and I show them how to get up because on cross country skis on a side hill, that's very complicated for new skiers. And I think this is my nature, but you are certainly a shining example in this. And I thank you for that. Thanks Ian, that, that means a yeah. lot. I think some of the things that stood out to me is uh, some of our favorite memories are definitely kind of, as you mentioned, some, you know, some outstanding performances has been just to your point, looking back maybe in our, our pictures or our photos and remembering, like I remember before Falun, before the medal, we looked back and uh, there was a picture of us with the Summit Nordic uh, junior team, junior team yeah. literally a week beforehand I think it was a day or two before I flew to world championships and we had done a clinic and uh yeah it's just very similar things to to that and at U.S. Nationals I remember one year I took the whole LNR women's team out and we skied the entire course together the day before the preview and they did my pre-workout race you know or pre-workout uh pre-race workout excuse me and uh you know really trying to show them and, and again to your point it it does it does take extra energy for sure. It'd be way easier to kind of put my head down and just say, you know what, like I'm going to wear the jacket. I'm going to go out, you know, wear the suit, go out there there and do my own thing. And, and I think I, I, I'm, I'm glad because it's, it's not that it's forced, but I do hope that it kind of resonates as, as, a, as it's possible, especially for those younger athletes to say, Oh my gosh, Caitlin came out with us. We all tested skis together. We all skied the course. We talked about tactics and then Caitlin, was able to win the race. And so it's kind of a twofold thing. They don't see me just skiing off in the distance, coming back every now and then. It's, it's really kind of, like you said, bringing them with me and showing them like, hey, this is, this is possible to be, to be this way as an athlete. Yeah. And then as a country, you know, hopefully they're doing that, that same thing. Mm -hmm. I think a lot about the athletes that did that for myself, uh, Laura McCabe, Rob Whitney, you know, the athletes that take a little moment out of their routine and their goals and their times and, and share that with that next generation. And kind of, I think that's, that's an area that we're getting better and better at in the U S is sharing that knowledge that, that you gain over time. So. Yeah. And, and I think we have challenges as a country when it comes to Nordic. And one of them is we're a very large country with, six hours to eight hours of driving between every ski town, you know, that's a development center and so on. And um, if you look at Norway, this, what you do is almost built in because they have these clubs that are all very close together for the most part, because Norway's not very, it's long, but you know, a lot of the populations in the South, let's say Lillehammer, Oslo area, and you've got Olympic and world champions and very successful skiers currently, or just past that, or even on the way up. And they're in the same building is junior skiers and youth skiers and they see them all the time and and it's almost like they have the mentality well like what caitlin was describing with warming up and doing her pre-race routine the other people see them doing that know they came from their town know their parents and their family like if they can do it i can do it and and that and how to do it has been demonstrated right before their noses 
And you're kind of providing that service in many ways and the inspiration and the confidence. Um, so that's, that's fantastic. I'm really happy to hear that because that's always been a goal of mine. I, I know there was, I was at a graduating class of 50 students. Uh, it was the largest class ever to go through my high school. And we had three of us in Sochi, myself, Eric Bjornsson and Sadie Bjornsson. And yeah. I know that that was because we had Laura McCabe and Leslie Thompson or Leslie Hall and Scott Johnston and Flash or Chris Clark. We had these really strong role models that showed us that like, hey, you know what? This is something that we can do. And Laura had a way, she trained for the 98 Olympics, training with these little U16 boys. And that cool. was myself, my twin brother, Sam Naney, you know, uh, showing that there's creative ways to make that happen and how you can inspire your community is pretty fun. And if we're name dropping, I don't know if you remember uh, Mark Gilbertson. Of course, I waxed his knees many times. Exactly, he was a huge inspiration for me. He was a teacher and training and just really I think exuded a, a just a pure love for the sport and a pure love for his goals and he reached them and just it, you know it made such a difference and I think Brian and I both have talked about that in, in wanting to do the same kind of going forward so yeah we yeah it, it kind of feeds on itself which is really cool. Sure so I have a few things that I absolutely want to talk about and this next one is what we just spoke about I think is a unique aspect of the two of you, of Team Greg. Uh, there are other people in the country that do make themselves um, accessible or available or even reach out, but uh, there's nobody that ever has to the extent that you do, uh, especially at the height of your careers. It's amazing. Um, but this, this next one, I think, is also very interesting. So let's shift gears completely. And let me ask this question and, and go in a different direction. The two of you have a pretty unique dynamic of cooperation where you have not only a division of labor, such as, for example, maybe one does more planning, training plans and planning and such, and the other one does maybe more tech work, uh, for example. That's just an example of it. Um, but uh, oftentimes, as a team, the two of you might prioritize one of you, where the, and the other one does more service to the others and, and more compromise and so on. And that's also really unique and, and interesting. Um, and so first off, as a couple, this shows a real high level of, of functioning as a couple as compared to two individuals. So that's the first thing about this. Um, and it says a lot about your character, but can you talk about that for a bit, please? <laughs> that's something that we talk a lot about because the truth is, you know, you both get back from that long OD or that really hard uh, interval session and you're both tired. <laughs> and so we try to sit down at the beginning of each year and you know, we're, we're both really into setting goals and, and making, making, uh, making a list of sort of our, our clear priorities of, okay, what, what do we do when we're both really tired and Heidi starts crying? Or what do we do, you know, how do we, let's make sure that we don't just do so-so in everything. We want to be really great in a few things. And so whether that's circling, these are the races that are the biggest focus, but then also establishing, you know, I mean, our, our best days are those double podium days or, or the really, you know, elusive double win days where you can both, both win a race uh, or both win a super tour. Yeah. Um, the, uh, and I guess I started to look at it in some of those, we share, you share those wins together. You know, I, I've, I've been to the Olympics, but I've never actually competed at the world championships, but I feel like I've won a medal at the world championships. Exactly. And 
actually pretty incredible because like I didn't actually do the race, but the work and the things like I know there was so much involved in those the in the preparation that 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 joy of success is is like I feel like almost the same. You know, when Caitlin Caitlin won su two super tours this year as a new mom, including the opening super tour uh, skate race weekend in Canmore, and that was that was a huge win for us. And that meant that, yeah, there were a fair number of sessions where I would, I would take away my priority so that we could really focus on that. But yeah, we just established that clearly. And sometimes we have to revisit that along the way of like, okay, wait, we remember this, how does this fit with our goals? But um, I think it's worth doing it like that. And yeah. We did that, you know, Caitlin made the 2010 Olympic team. My goal was always to, to, to make the Olympics as well. And so she allowed me to be that focus going into 2014 and uh, it was just under four minutes, three minutes, 36 seconds. We knew that day and uh, at Soldier Hollow that Caitlin had to do something incredible to, to make the Olympic team. And so she went for it. And, and uh, I have a lot of pride in how, how well she did in, in all of those skate races that season. Yeah. And um, it was really hard on her not to be selected for that Olympic team. And, and for me, it was really powerful that she took that and said, well, okay, my focus is there's a, there's a 10K skate at the World Championships next year, and I'm going to crush that race. And to say that when you just got denied, you know, a spot for the Olympic team, I think that takes a lot to say, okay, this is, I want to make this goal on a race that I may never even have the opportunity to race. And that was her goal. And uh, so then she was the priority that year. And that doesn't mean that, you know, I wasn't still racing as well. Um, but we made her the priority that year and, and sort of switching back and forth. And uh, it's pretty fun to do that. That's fantastic. <laughs> so, um, Caitlin, what are your plans and goals for this winter in the short term beyond? Yeah. Um, so I've been coaching a lot. I've continued coaching. I had a great group of college kids this summer and we had a great, uh, great summer of training. Um, I, I actually really love coaching because it helps me really hone in and, and sometimes really, uh, have thoughtful, um, thoughtful moments of, you know, what is it that I even need to really, uh, work on in terms of like weaknesses or, or areas that maybe, you know, I tend to just on my own, uh, neglect and specifically maybe classic speeds, uh, for instance. And, um, and so that was really fun. And I actually, I feel quite good right now. Um, fitness wise, I'm feeling, you know, like training has been going well and, um, we, yeah, we just, it was an awesome group this summer. So I had a ton of athletes to push me and I got to push a lot of athletes. Um, and so going into the fall, you know, there's so much unknown with this season, but we hope that we can be at a number of races, you know, in terms of, uh, whether they're here regionally or, you know, or, or whatever, and, um, things are safe and things are, you know, going to be done to the best of everyone's ability. Um, but right now we're, pretty excited for for the winter season um i will say we do have goals to have uh more kids in our future and so that's always another you know another area that i personally you know think about in terms of well is this a is this a good season to maybe take a break and to maybe you know try to expand our family is this you know is this something that you know we have to kind of see what happens and if we get to the winter time and we're not pregnant yet then just go for it. Why not? And so, yeah, that's, cool. kind of, yeah. That's, that's great. Um, Brian, I want to ask you this, a similar question. So what are your plans and goals for this winter uh, and short term beyond? And also please tell me about your work 
and how you're able to balance your responsibilities with work, family, and skiing. Yeah. So I started working on the financial advisor and financial planner with a group called Preferred Resource Group or PRG Financial. And we're actually just located on the other side of Theodore Worth Park. So on a good snow day, huh. I can go to Worth, ski around Worth, and ski to the office. Um, otherwise, it's just a mile down Highway 55. And I really enjoy that type of work, uh, work helping, helping individuals um, plan, manage their investments, answer the questions of, you know, what are my financial blind spots? Can I retire? Um, what can I do to prepare and reach my goals? So a lot of that is similar to, to training. So I like that. And the, uh, a big part of, you know, as we are getting older, we know that, that our, our performances will probably drop off at some point. We're trying to delay that as much as possible. But a big goal for, my, for me is to, to plan for that next step with our family um, and provide for our family and sort of have have something that we can do we'll always be skiing but you know the revenue that we can generate from skiing and prize money and and things is, is going to go down and so uh a big focus for myself is is continuing to build my business so i've i've passed my certified financial planner board exams and um, just gaining a lot of experience working with uh, another skier who actually listened to a podcast that we did with faster skier and reached out to me, Craig Rudd. So I work with Craig Rudd and um, that's been fantastic. He's, he's taught me a lot about the business and working with a lot of different clients to help them. And so that's been, been really fun. And having that background in skiing, there's, there's, there's a fair amount of flexibility that we have. The, uh, to certain degrees, it sort of is easier because, you know, I, I try to constrain my work to maybe 40 or 50 hours a week but the nice thing is, is that, um, you know, when five or six o'clock rolls around, people don't really expect you to answer those emails. Whereas on a, on a, on an athlete side of things, I felt like I was working 24 seven. So like for the first time ever, I have a weekend. Um, so, and that's when I try to train as much as I can. I was going to say, <laughs> it doesn't look any different than it did before though. You really, you really embraces the weekends. <laughs> cool. yeah. And then as far as my goals go, you know, I've got a great rivalry with my friend, Matt Leach. So we have lots of races or time trials throughout the summer that we can, we can uh, try to beat up on each other there. Uh, I really enjoy hopping in a few super tours when I can. And then the, um, the marathon series throughout the Midwest provides, uh, I like to try to race pretty much every weekend from the, uh, you know, first weekend in West Yellowstone to usually the final race here in the Midwest is the great bear chase. Yeah. So you are, I'm a very organized person, but you're probably the most organized person I know. And you're obviously very intelligent and you also have a passion for helping people. For that reason, um, I can't help but think that you do a fantastic job as a financial planner. So, <laughs> So how do people get in touch with you if they want to take advantage of your services? Yeah, uh, my email, uh, if you search on the internet, my contact information is out there. So uh, I've had people reach out through our Facebook page with Team Greg, my personal Facebook page with, um, as Brian Greg, the, um, my email is brian.greg at prgfinancial.com. The um, yeah, it's been a really good fit. I, I've always, 
I've always thought that if you do something that you love, you, ne you never feel like you do a day of work in your life. And yeah. I sort of, these are the financial planning and strategy. It's something that I, those are the articles that I enjoy reading as I fall asleep at night. Cool. And it's something that's a, it's, it's a really good fit. And it is actually very similar to training in the sense of you have a lot of tools like intervals that, that, um, you know, everyone needs a little bit of intervals, but everybody's a little bit different. So what type of intervals that they might need. And so right. there's a lot of similarities within the recipe, but then figuring out the perfect fit for, for an individual, for a family. I really enjoy that. So there's a lot of similarities, but every case is different. Every family is different. It's something that I really enjoy. And then it makes it fun to really become an expert in that field. Super. I like the idea. It's not very accurate. Uh, you know, it's not realistic, but the, the magic bullet workout. I guess what I'm what I'm trying to say when I when I say that is, a workout that is so core to you, so fundamental, like maybe your one one kilometer loop, but that that it's you know, you, let's say you get sick or you go on a trip and you can't train for a little bit, that's the first workout you're going to be doing when you feel normal again. It's your key thing. Do, what are do you have one or each of you have one, and and what is it that's really important to you? That you've got it dialed in and you know it's going to get you where you want to go yeah i my my favorite one i definitely do um maybe i wouldn't do it straight off of a sickness but i definitely would be the one that i would want to do is uh we have a great hill out in Aspen, minnesota where jess Dickens is from um it's about a four minute on the nose climb and uh i can tell you know kind of back to your 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 conversations about you know if i'm not training with people who could push me on a regular basis like you know, how, how does that work? Well, I know the years that when I'm skiing well up that climb, where my fitness is at and how I'm doing. And it's a workout that I, I just, I love no matter what, even if it's early season and I'm not feeling good and it's kind of going rough. I just know that that's, that's the session that's going to get me in shape. So it's six by four minutes is usually what I do for the climb. Mm -hmm. And, um, I've really been trying to nail down, uh, the pacing for the session so that I get faster with each effort. So I negative split the whole session. Yeah. The last one, you can just go for it. I like ne negative splitting intervals as well, because if you don't, it sends your body and your mind the wrong message. You know, like it's okay to start fast and then get slower and slower and slower, despite your yeah. best efforts. No, I yeah. want my body to, and my, I want to have confidence in my fitness and go the other direction. And I, yeah. I think it's good physiologically, but also mentally. Yep, yeah, I agree 100%. And I guess maybe going back to that question he asked earlier on the, for master athletes, I think that's one of the best things. One of the best things that you can do is add, add new types of workouts or new types of stimulus to, to your workout routine. And, and um, Caitlin is really good at that and, and getting, I mean, all of us doing, you know, the more that we do a workout, you know, if we have a specific core routine that we do for strength, we get really good at that particular core routine. And so, um, that's one of the advantages maybe of working with different community members. You ask, you know, I asked Leaps, you know, okay, Leaps, you come up with the workout today. We're going to do the interval set that you like. And it may not be the one that I like as much or even am as good at, but it's a different stimulus because, because it's not something I'm regularly doing. Right. Yeah. The whole confusion, muscle yeah. confusion, yielding adaptation and gains. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's talk, thank you. Um, I think that, that was a really interesting part of the conversation. Let's talk about strength. I think that the two of you have been involved in, in skiing at an elite level for a long time. My opinion is strength training, specifically for cross-country skiing, 
has changed dramatically over the last 15, 20 years. And so you have, having been on the elite level for the last 15, 20 years means, I think you've, what you've got to say about this uh, is going to be quite enlightening. On top of that, I think the two of you are two of the strongest U.S. athletes there are. So what you're doing for strength and how you've changed over the years, I think, has been very effective. So I'd love to hear about your comments on strength uh, and, and maybe how it's changed a little bit, but mostly on what, you're, what you find best. Yeah. Um, well, I've been, I've been very interested in strength training for a long time, and I think that it really um, – I think our, my big breakthrough um, really came when we were on the CXC team with Brian Fish, and it was a huge um, – it was a huge goal for Brian Fish after we did some initial evaluations. He really kind of stepped up and said, hey, we all need to be stronger. And he said, you know, this, this, these, these numbers, these aren't, this isn't good enough. We really need to look at this from a, you know, from a whole new, a whole new way of thinking about cross-country skiing and the strength that's needed. And so he really started us off with a pretty aggressive strength program that I think paid dividends in terms of um, our power, our speed, um, even our endurance for that matter. And, um, and I think he was just, you know, that was his first year as an elite team coach. And I think it's only, um, only become like you've mentioned more prevalent and more sophisticated as the years have gone on. And so now it's, it's, it's quite an extensive part of our training regime and what we have a lot of our juniors and, um, college athletes and master's athletes, uh, doing as well. And so for us, we have, extremely you know basically the same as I would say a football player um the basketball player you know any other sport you can think of out there that utilizes strength training to help kind of on the court or on the field or on game day um we're using strength in the same way so we have periodization um we have specific goals for uh, for you know weights and sets we have uh specific goals for um agility and quickness training, um, and then kind of all the way back to injury prevention as well, where we're looking at how are we making sure that we're balancing all of the muscle groups, how are we making sure that we're staying and we're, uh, you know, preventing injury by activating the correct muscles, by really making sure our form is, is dialed in. Um, and again, to your point of the kind of progressive overload and the, you know, the changing up of the stimulus for adaptations, all of those things, and then having times where we back off certain kinds of strengths so that we kind of realize those gains and, and how we periodize that with our other training outside of the strength room. So it's gotten quite, um, quite advanced and it's a, it's a pretty big part of our training regime, I would say. So let's, let's um, see if we can easily give our listeners and viewers a, a better idea of the nuts and bolts. So for starters, let's say during the, build up here, let's say from July to November, how many workouts are you doing a week in the weight room type environment? And how many, how much is uh, like skier, double pole, bounding, plyometrics, you know, very ski specific? Yeah, that's a good question. So from July to November, we actually have a couple different phases in there. So, you know, kind of backing up maybe even to like April, May, um, June, we usually have what I would call like a preparatory phase or a general strength phase. We moved into what I would call max strength. So general strength was when we could access weights again and we could really start applying loads and start just sort of getting the body even more ready. And then um, the max strength phase was when we really kind of increased the weight and decreased the reps. And so looking at kind of reps in the four 
range and, and weights really pushing the weights to kind of hit new, hit new milestones, hit new limits and kind of reducing the number of exercises. So then really kind of focusing on the big lifts, like squats, deadlifts, bench, um, pull-ups, dips, etc., And then having sort of, um, what I would call auxiliary lifts, which are maybe some more fine motor skill lifts, like, um, let's say single leg RDLs, um, maybe some, um, what I would call like tricep extension work, et cetera. And then of course, lots of core, core work throughout. So then as we kind of progress into that max strength phase, we might drop down to just two days a week and then have a full day um, that's just committed to core training. So you're doing then, two days a week in the fall in the weight room of max strength. Nope, that was in the end of summer. So that's like in July. Then you, then you um, said after that, you, were, you progressed from the general strength to the max, max that was after and, July. Yep, yep. And then so what's, the, what's the we'll talk about months specifically? Fall. Yeah, fall. So, so in the fall, you said you're doing two days a week of max strength. Two days a week. What's yeah. that? Yeah, now well, now we're at velocity strength. Yeah, so, so that was July and August. Max strength with fewer, yeah. fewer reps, but yeah, but so but I just want to because this is kind of surprising to me. So in the fall, even you're doing two weight max strength which is low volume, but high, high weight and explosive movements, many complex movements, as well as simplistic movements. You're doing that twice a week in the fall. Mm-hmm. Plus you were talking about some more specific strength. Yeah, more like and, core and core. And, yeah. core. Mm-hmm. and yeah. so what kind of specific strength are you doing in the fall? That's not just skiing, but rather like TRX court work or dope pole or ski erg or plyometrics. Yeah, we uh, we love actually. I think the ski ergs are really good. So we do that as the days get shorter. I get home from work a little bit later, and um, so we have two ski ergs in the basement, and we love to put on you know last season's World Cup races or some of the roller ski races from the summer. And we we that's a great way to get a, a good strength workout in a relatively short period of time. So, yeah. You know. But yeah. what I'm what I'm trying to figure out is you've got two max strength workouts a week in the fall. That, like I said, I understand it's it's low volume, high explosive, uh, mm-hmm. but there's still, you know, that's a hard workout. And then on top of that, you're doing skier. On top of that, you're doing core. And then, of course, you're doing your interval workouts and your distance workouts. I mean, that's that's a really high training volume, really yeah. high quality, intense training volume, huh? Yeah, yeah. And I would say that we we continue that, you know, at least once a week into the ski season and having that high strength max strength type workouts velocity strength you know explosive workouts even throughout a lot of the ski season and maybe not until after i would say maybe after u.s nationals we drop that down even more when we start doing more marathon races and you know and then it might kind of be sprinkled in at different points like different uh times um you know, if we have a break in the schedule or something and there's a week or two between race, you know, maybe two weeks between races, we might do, an, you know, revisit the strength component again. And, you know, because strength is kind of a twofold uh, part where it can be utilized to, to build muscle or to build power, et cetera, but it can also be used as a recovery tool. And so if you're hitting it we the often, right way. We often do that the same day as our intervals. So we have our hard days are quite hard. We have hard intervals in the morning and then the strength and we try to look for that hormonal response to allow us to kind of recover. Um, so that's what they found is that if you are really, really sort of um, specific in which exercises you're doing. So again, it's a little different than, you know, now we're sort of focusing on, I would say two to 
maybe three in the bigger volume weeks, big lifts and around that now. So we've really taken it back from to kind of, again, answer your question. We've taken it back from maybe mid summer where we're maybe doing four to six big lifts. Now we're really doing two primary big lifts in the gym, as well as some jumps and some uh, quickness and coordination work. And th so it's, it's still two big, heavy max lifts, but the volume of overall work isn't there. And so it's sort of creating that hormonal response, keeping the body, that stimulus there, but just not the overall load that would lead to like extensive fatigue or like in your, you know, to your point, like it's so much hard, hard, um, training throughout the week, if that makes yeah. sense. So this is something I like to ask people, ask everybody, um, what is your favorite Toco glove model and why? I, I'm the designer and it, uh, it's very interesting to me to hear from this, about this and now and then I get a, an answer that surprises me. So would you please comment on that? Yeah. Yeah. So my favorite is the, well, I mean, I should start with what my two favorites used to be. My two favorites used to be the Toco, the classic and the thermo. And then you came out with a glove that is, has become easily my favorite. It's the Thermo Race. And so the Thermo Race is, I think actually Heidi was playing, is uh, it's a thicker, a thicker glove, but it basically has the palm of the classic. At least that's so, how I would maybe describe yeah, it. So it's an uninsulated palm. So it's a bare palm, but it's got some insulation on the back of the hand. And the idea is for cold weather, hopefully it gives you enough protection, but there's no sacrifice in terms of feel for the pole on the, on the palm, yeah. Yeah, so I've used those down, you know, racing in them down to down to the fifth legal limit of negative four, yeah. and I've been comfortable with that. The um, but I love just that I still have that same grip with my grip with my hands. Um, oftentimes I'll use the overmitt on top of that to warm up for the race, so my hands are nice and warm to begin with. But the reason that that's my favorite glove is that we have you know now we're we're hauling around you know Heidi stuff and. We, uh, I know exactly what the weight limits are on every airline. And, uh, you know, I feel like that's the glove that can, can do everything. So I like to bring two pairs of those so that I have a dry pair to, to change into uh, or always have a dry pair for the second workout. And uh, those are my favorite. Cool. And that pairs the thermal race model. The thermal race, yeah. Okay. okay. What about you, Kaylin? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to make this very interesting. It's also my favorite glove. I love uh, I love the thermal race for a lot of the same reasons. I think that for me, it's actually the glove that I would go to, you know, Brian mentioned he would wear it in, you know, much colder temperatures. And I even like wearing it in warmer temperatures. It's the perfect um, thickness, I feel like for my, my cold straps. It just, it feels so comfortable in the strap, but it, again, it has that thicker outer layer for any wind or any elements out there. And then as you both mentioned, the feel that, that thin, inner part, you know, that's a part of my hand that I don't feel like ever really gets too cold. If anything, it gets too hot, but that, that ability to feel the pull, to feel the grip is, is super important. And, and that's what this, this glove really, really offers. So I, I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan of this glove. The, the challenge with us both having the same favorite glove is that we always have to make sure that we have different colors. Um, right. One of the things nice is that we can all, you know, we throw them in the wash and I think that's actually really nice now with the whole um, just in staying healthy during the season so we regularly wash our gloves and the worst thing ever is when I get out to go ski Caitlin's a size seven I'm a size nine and if I grab Caitlin's gloves by accident so when we always have to make sure that she has completely different colors yeah, than mine. That's right. what they want most of the time. Yep. So you might be surprised so for me it's a no-brainer thermal race. Yeah. You'd be surprised 
um, I've asked this question a number of times, and you're the first ones to have said thermal rays. For me, it's a no-brainer. Absolute no-brainer. Of course, it's thermal rays. But it's, what's the most popular? What's the most popular selling glove, or what's the most popular glove? Uh, the thermal. It, it kind of depends a little bit on the exposure. The thermal race is not as. It's a younger glove in terms of its lifespan or how long it's been around than the than the classic and the thermal plus. Um, yeah. the thermal the thermal plus is, bit, is definitely one of our top two selling and then um mittens and split finger mitts do really well you know because people get cold hands but um the thermal race for me is an absolute no-brainer it's that's the first glove i would if i was going on a trip and i didn't know what the temperatures were going to be yep. that's yep. the one i would take and if i did know what the temperature would be 80 percent of the time it'd be that glove too you know so so um here's a question that i'd love to hear an answer because um you guys are you've got the ability to look back now with, you know, they say hindsight is twenty twenty. Um, what is something that you know now that you wish you had really known when you were 18? I can answer that. I mean, kind of, again, playing off what I just mentioned is that I had this unique experience in my ski career where we were just starting to do sprint races. And, you know, sprinting was kind of unknown if it was sort of a short-term thing or if it was going to be there for the long run. And so when I very first started skiing, I remember my first Jans, we had only distance races and relays. And then there was something called just the prologue or just that, you know, what now would be considered the qualifier. We just literally went out and we did one K it was all individuals, uh, start. It was just, it was, it, it was so, so new and so, um, unusual. And I remember that, yeah, McCall. no, that, well, we didn't even do it in McCall. It was in Anchorage, I guess the first time it was dual start. It was dual start. Okay. Yeah. All right. I didn't even remember that. So anyway, I just remember seeing something at one point in the results where, my pace for the 10K skate was actually faster than my pace for the 1K in that event, and the conditions weren't that different. And so, you know, for myself, kind of going back to my answer before, I think I never really approached skiing from a, a speed perspective and from a power perspective and from a coordination perspective. It was kind of all about, it was all fitness. And so that's something that I would now go back and say, oh, if I could apply all that speed and coordination and quickness and then have the fitness that I gained throughout my entire career. On top of that, that would be a lot easier than now. I feel like I've been fit before and then having to apply the coordination and quickness on top of that, which is more difficult. Cool. I've got a, a comment on that. Yeah. I did two world juniors for cross-country skiing. My yeah. first one, my first world junior uh, was 1985, <laughs> Lake Placid. Um, there was a number four. The starter was number four as a Finnish guy. I actually used him as part of my warm-up. I don't know who he was. Um, I just, he came out, he came out of the start and went into the woods and I jumped in the tracks behind him and went. And I skied about a K with him and I was thinking, I can do this. This was before course controls and, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was, it was really natural. It was like, yeah, no one told me to do it. It just seemed like a really smart way of doing a warm-up, you know. Yeah. Not too far. No, it was very close to my start time. So I thought this is going to be a good way for me to kind of think about pacing, you know. So I jumped in behind this Finnish skier. I skied about a K with him and I was comfortable. I thought, boy, I'm ready to, I'm ready to do this. And I went back and went to my start and started. After the race, I found out that that guy ended up like third overall. I still did okay. I was a minute 32 out, I think, in a 10K classic, top American, you know, decent. But I noticed in a split at two Ks, I was 15 seconds behind him. And I was like, what the heck? I skied that with him and yeah. I was comfortable. And so it opened my eyes to the mental aspect of skiing. And I think that's got something to do with you skiing 1K slower 
at a slower pace than 10 kids. It's not just the physical development. Of course, yeah. it's, it's can you, whatever your mindset is, are you relaxed? Are you, how are you skiing? Yeah. So important. And, and it's fascinating to me to have learned that the hard way so early. Yeah, that's interesting. Really interesting. So one more that I think is, um, will also enable people to get to know you. I know most people know you, but there are still some people that don't know you on a personal level. Um, do you have a mantra or philosophy that can be summed up in a few words? For me, it's the same thing I sign on most posters that we have. It's uh, to dream big, work hard, have fun, and enjoy success. And Yeah, I think that's the same for both of us. I think we both... Wow. I've just applied that to so much in what we've done. And I think, you know, first and foremost, we talked about the idea of dreaming big. Don't be afraid to set big goals, no matter how, you know, you want to set realistic goals, but you also want to have some that maybe are a little bit unrealistic that you really do kind of have to shoot for the moon to get. And that's kind of the fun of it is you don't know if it's going to happen or not. And of course you have goals along the way, you know, you can accomplish and are, you know, going to, you know, be attainable. But I think we, we really believe in going for it. Caitlin told me before that race in Falloon that she wanted to be in the top six because everybody in the top six uh, won a dollar horse. Yeah, but I mean, I think, you know, again, always being, always being, um, yeah, being optimistic and being, um, but being challenged, I think is a good thing. So dreaming big is, it, it can be, yeah, good things can happen from that. And then um, working hard. I mean, we have, we've yet to find, and I'm sure you can relate to this, you've yet to find anything in life that, that you know we don't enjoy working hard for i think that that's something you know we've maybe that's just it is that we enjoy working hard but nothing it's hard to be proud for something that's yeah, easy yeah you know, you're like, eh. but when it's a hard but when it's a hard-fought victory or a hard-fought effort those are the things that are the most yeah fun and and our worst our best memories are the things that were quite hard you know the hard travel days are the ones you remember yeah yeah but uh clearly there's not much sense in dreaming big and then not working hard. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like the two have to kind of go together. Exactly. And they sort of support each other. Um, and then turning big implies working hard, you know? Yeah. And then the next part, having fun. Yeah. We, like I said, have fun working hard. And uh, we also, we have fun in doing a lot of different things. And I think always bringing that element back to it and, and enjoying what you're doing. Well, cool. This has been really fun. Um, yeah. Hopefully you learned something about us. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, and a little bit about some training philosophies and ideas. But um, I just want to say thank you again to everything that you've done for the ski community and continue to do, as well as uh, I love you guys. Uh, you've been great friends and mentors or, or uh, examples for me for years. Um, every time we get to go for a ski or rub shoulders, I appreciate it. Um, and I'm looking forward to the next time. So Thanks, Ian. Yeah, we really for... appreciate the support of TOCO and, and how uh, supportive TOCO is of all of the up-and-coming U.S. athletes. And uh, thank you for what you do for, for the skiing industry as well. It's been my pleasure.